HawkeyeInsiders.com, David Eichel, along with Sean Bach here for another edition of the Swarmcast. Sean, I would argue this is probably going to be our busiest week of the year. And we've, we've covered a lot, but this is uh, – it's going to be something else with signing day, Iowa, Michigan, and Gonzaga, Iowa. Yeah, I mean, signing day is obviously always a busy day, depending on how busy you want to make it. Iowa usually does a good job of getting their class in pretty early, so – that not only makes their jobs easier, but it makes our job pretty easy too. <clears throat> Obviously, they had a couple of guys they want to sign in the late signing period, which we'll cover in another podcast later this week. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we, we've been waiting for this week for a while. I think, obviously, with signing day, Iowa signing its best class in the Kirk Ferentz era since, I think, 2005, which even then, like, recruiting yeah. rankings were kind of kind of question, yeah, questionable. So. <laughs> I think that'll be a lot of excitement. And then <clears throat> Friday um, or Saturday, you know, with obviously it had potential to be one of the more exciting days in Iowa, really athletics history with the potential of playing Indiana in the Big Ten Champions Week. But now with, you know, Indiana having the COVID situation and the Big Ten wants to keep those rivalries or make sure they're played, that the Hoosiers are ending up playing Purdue this week while Iowa – we would argue, and I think many others would say the same, kind of got the short end of the stick with Michigan, which is kind of weird to say because yeah. normally you think Michigan, you think primetime game, big time, under the lights, like big house, like Michigan Wolverines, yada, yada. But Michigan, man, like just the way they've struggled, haven't played the last two games. Jim Harbaugh kind of seems to be on his last life in Ann Arbor, depending on who you talk to. It's just – had potential to be a great day. I mean, who knows? Maybe this will still be a great game, but I think there would have been a lot more hype going into a potential top 15 matchup between Iowa and Indiana. But, you know, it is what it is. And then, obviously, probably the game of the day, which is earlier in the day, Iowa-Gonzaga, number one versus number two. Probably game of the year in college basketball, right, at this point, since Baylor-Gonzaga got canceled? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, there's. I think think Baylor and Illinois had potential to be up there too, but – Obviously, with Baylor pulling away, that kind of changed things a little bit. But, you know, going into it, two best, two of the best offenses in the country. I know Iowa's number one on Kepom, and I think Gonzaga's two or three. So that's going to be a big up-and-down affair, and you'll yeah. love it if you like points. And then you got Iowa-Michigan later in the day. So, yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot going on this week. So it should be, should be a lot of fun, though. Plenty of podcasts, and I mean, just talking to Sean before the podcast, before we hit the record button, a ridiculous, and I mean ridiculous amount of content coming your way. So stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com for that. And just before we really dive into the football matchups, I think Sean and I agreed. We're just going to do a couple podcasts this week inside trying to fit everything in one. We don't feel like we'd be doing any of the topics justice if we did. So that's kind of the game plan right now. But again, before we start, I want to say – Get 60% off an annual subscription to HawkeyeInsider.com. I believe that deal runs out on signing day, which is Wednesday. So go to HawkeyeInsider.com for all the details, the most in-depth Iowa Hawkeyes coverage, news, analysis, scoop, and, and about everything else available on the internet. I mean, again, we have a ridiculous amount of content for signing day, and we're really excited uh, for it to come and for us to be able to show you uh, what we've been working on. But, Sean, since we did not do an instant reaction podcast, we have to talk about Iowa, Wisconsin, and I think the first thing that jumps off the page to me is that was Iowa's defense's best game 
of, of the season. I mean, they absolutely shut down any momentum Wisconsin had. Wisconsin obviously did get seven points, but that's due to a, a very – the only real questionable decision that Charlie Jones, who's now on scholarship, by the way, has made, gave the Badgers great field position. They found a way to get in the end zone. But other than that, Iowa's defense, man, I mean, they, they were spectacular. Jack Campbell, I think, is going to be a name that's going to be known around the Big Ten. Three pass breakups, an interception for a linebacker. Just made play after play after play, and it was really just a very complete game for the Iowa defense. And once that second half hit, second half Petrus came back out, and I thought he really did himself justice and really built himself up uh, and, and just continued to build off of what he did against Illinois. Yeah, I put that question on our message boards after the game. I'm saying, hey, is Spencer Petrus the second half quarterback now? And, you know, with the way that he's played, I mean, what has it been? Was it five? It's five touchdowns in the past two weeks in the second yeah. half, or was no, the one, the Laporta one was in the first half, if I'm not mistaken, against Illinois, or was it, or was it the second? I half? think it was I'm the blanking. second quarter, second quarter, I believe yeah. it was. That one was, yeah. So, I mean, just the way he was able to play in the second quarter, and you know, I think a lot of people. This has been a really heated discussion on Twitter and just on our message boards as well, kind of the flack that Petrus gets for some of the throws that he makes. And I think maybe some of the play calling, not all of it, but maybe some here or there kind of kind of don't do him well, if, if you want to put it that way. But, yeah, I think these past two games have really, you know, made not only the coaching staff, not only the fans, but I think his teammates really a lot more confident in his abilities. And I, I don't even want to say, like, no one was, like, uncompetent in him but I think you see some of the reactions from some of those receivers and you're kind of like you know I think maybe there's something a little bit off but Spencer Peters talked about post game too he said it was only a matter of time before the deep ball worked in the game it's been working in practice we've seen it many times in practice but we haven't really gotten it into a game yet and we mm -hmm. saw a couple of pretty decent like red zone touchdowns last week against Illinois but we didn't really see a long ball yet and we got a couple of those Two of them actually from Petrus and the one across the middle, kind of up the seam to Amir Smith-Marset. And then another one more on kind of a, on a streak route, just kind of beat his receiver at the initial break, but, or at the line of scrimmage. So that was definitely good to see. And Petrus did a good job of finding Amir there, obviously the first pass and he admitted it could have been a little better, but I, I think really could have been a touchdown, should have been a touchdown because Amir totally burned his guy, but I think to your point, Sean, sorry for you finish up. I think Petrus had overthrown so many deep balls that he purposely short-armed that just to see a pass downfield get completed. I mean, yeah, I, I doubt it. <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm against that. I think more so like I think the conditions might have had to do something with it. I don't know if it was snowing at that point, but it was definitely cold and I think – I mean, I get what you're saying. I think part of it's like you underthrow it because you're like, ah – like, I don't want to overthrow it. Like, I've overthrown a couple balls already. Like, I've overthrown Amir a couple times and kind of that yeah. same route. But he was able to get the job done. And I think that's another that's another kudos to Petrus for the second half that he had and kind of those guys just believing him. And I think really what I've what we've learned through the past few games is that not having those three non-conference games, even against Iowa State, who I know is a really good team this year, but – even getting those three non-con games to kind of get yourself motivated – or not motivated, to get yourself kind of warmed up, to get yourself acclimated in the offense in a game-like situations against an opponent other than your own defense, 
I think sure. not having those games this year was so critical to Petrus's development because, I mean, he kind of just threw him in the fire right away. And I know the Purdue situation, obviously, with the way that Jeff Brom wasn't able to coach and how Purdue has really struggled to end the year. You look back at those games, and I think if Petrus had, you know, those those I wouldn't say but those non-conference games to get ready, that would have been a really big difference maker for him. And not having those really kind of just ruined his whole rhythm and really ruined, you know, I, I mean, sorry, I don't want to, I don't want to ramble, but I think I don't want to use that as an excuse because there were a couple other guys on the field that, you know, didn't have, or all the guys on the field didn't have those games, but this is the quarterback position we're talking about the most important position on the field and to not have those games and, really get that experience, I think really, really hurt Petrus at the beginning, but I think we're really starting to see what he could do now. And it is interesting too, Sean, because you look around the Big Ten, like we, I think it was me and I think you agreed as well. I mean, with some of the younger quarterbacks in the conference, the ones that were starring in the beginning of the season aren't really doing that now. I mean, look at Graham Mertz. Graham Mertz set the world on fire. He was considered a Heisman front runner after his first game with five touchdowns going 20 to 21. Obviously, COVID knocked him out for the next couple of weeks and he doesn't have as much help as his future Wisconsin's team will but you don't have to have the help to put the ball in the right spot when you have time in the pocket and Mertz just could not get in a rhythm against Iowa and I think again that's credit to Iowa's defense but you see those first year quarterbacks kind of go through their ups and downs and I mean you look at Petrus like you said the last couple of games a couple of things to keep in mind one he has the most passing attempts in the Big Ten two uh, in the last, and during the six-game win streak, he has eight touchdowns to only two interceptions. Three of his, of his interceptions came against Northwestern, and one of which wasn't even his fault. Sam Laporta just couldn't hang on to it. It bounced off his hands and into Northwestern, and that's just the way the ball goes sometimes. But I think with what Petrus has shown, I still think there has to be an open quarterback competition. We'll have plenty of time to talk about this too, Sean, but – I think he's at least established himself as the leader a little bit more than he already has. Like, I think he would have been the leader regardless, but I think with the way he's performed in the last couple of games, I think it does give a little bit more confidence into his receivers who are returning and the future receivers. Like, hey, you know, he showed more poise in the pocket. He made good decisions. And I didn't even really think about this till right now, Sean, but remember those first six games or so, there's always those three or four passes where you're like – that probably should have been picked off. I can't yeah. remember one of those passes in the last two weeks. Uh, I mean, there were a few that I think. As obvious as in like <clears throat> directly thrown to the DB and they just ended up dropping it. Maybe it's just my mind blanking, but I can't think of any of those where you're like, oh man, like he caught a break because the DB definitely should have caught that. It was right in his hands. I think I saw a few that were like that against Wisconsin. I think there might have been a series or two where he had maybe one or two of those throws. I, I can't remember exactly, but I definitely feel like there were a couple against Wisconsin. I don't, I don't know how many against Illinois. Obviously, you remember the throws at the feet to Tyler Goodson, but I think there were maybe one or two passes that definitely should have been picked off on Saturday. I'll have to go back and review the tape again, but if there were, it definitely was not as many as it has been. Because, I mean, you're talking multiple times where you're just like, man, that definitely should have been – uh, intercepted but we've talked about Petrus for a while Sean before we really dive in this Michigan game I want to go over a couple more things one I think we need to talk about the, the Tory Taylor 
kick, which was an incredible play to watch. Uh, and, and, and it taught me something new. And it, the rule makes sense. I didn't think it made much sense at, at the beginning of Sean because the punter's allowed to kick the ball. But I guess because he muffled the snap, that's considered a fumble. And no matter who you are, you aren't allowed to kick it. But regardless of how that play turned out, I mean, I thought that was a hell of a heads-up play by, by Torrey Taylor to be able to get that ball away at all. Yeah, he didn't have his best game on um, Saturday, or at least what people are accustomed to. But I think that's one of the negatives of having a you know guy that's totally new to the game of football is you don't really grasp some of the rules that you would if you lived in the United States, played American football for all your life. I mean, at first I was kind of like, whoa, like that's an impressive pun. Like, honestly, I didn't really know the rule or I kind of was like, oh, whatever. Like, I thought maybe you could just pick it up, like after yeah. you drop it and then run yeah. with it and punt it. But I guess that's not the case. Um, so, I mean, that's that was just one of the negatives. And, you know, I think, too, with those conditions, obviously it doesn't snow often in Australia. So, to add in that factor, I think really played a player, really played a role with Taylor. But yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I he'll be fine. He's a true freshman. You learn from it. But yeah, he'll be he'll be fine. That was definitely very interesting, though. I think I think I saw it on not. I think did they have? I think they might have had Amir Smith Marset's flip and Taylor's you know, muffed punt on not top 10, but I could have been was wrong. It, I think, I think Emir's was, I know, I think Tori, I think they both were, I think you're right. Amir's like outside of him getting hurt. Like who cares if he didn't land? Like who cares? They didn't land that. Like <laughs> the way he like glided through the air, like that was insane. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And I love talking to him post game because he was just so carefree and just so let loose. I'm very surprised that he talked post game. Because typically yeah. when a player is injured, no matter the severity, it's, I mean, we don't know anything about the injury yet. That remains to be seen. He was not listed in the depth chart today, but I'm sure we'll get an update from Kirk Ferentz tomorrow about it. But, I mean, he, he even said his celebration, he was going to put like – he was going to make a bowl with his fingers on his head and impersonate the trophy. Kind of reminds me of Noah, when Noah Fant rode the boat. Uh, when he scored that touchdown against Minnesota. But, you know, he had fun with it. I love talking to him post game, And he's always been a guy that brings flair and has a swagger and kind of that New Jersey just attitude uh, to him. And, you know, it's always refreshing to hear from him. And the game's fun. And he said post game, he said, do I regret it? No. Would I do it again? Yeah. And he just, I'm just trying to have fun. So I, I, I personally, I loved it. Uh, but, again, we'll see what happens with him uh this this Saturday but Sean last quick topic I mean we I want to get your opinion on the defense but how about that 80 yard run from Tyler Goodson I mean that was what I would argue that was his most impressive run as a Hawkeye I mean he broke that tackle right at the beginning made two cutbacks Tyler Linderbaum sprinting down the field to try to get a block and Nico Regani had a very underappreciated and very underrated block when he got to that final level which allowed Tyler Goodson to get away but for, for Iowa to get that sort of explosive running play against this Wisconsin defense or any Wisconsin defense, I think that just shows the growth that Goodson's and the strides that he's made this year. Yeah, I actually I actually missed that in the initial play. Um, I don't know what I was doing. I think it might have been like upstairs or like went to grab something to eat real quick upstairs, but I missed the play and I had someone screaming from downstairs like, 
Sean, Sean, like you just missed this. And I was like, all right, like, (laughs) of course, of course I did. But yeah, I mean, in Wisconsin, like obviously we knew about the, the offensive issues that they've had, but I think defense was really the, uh, the strong suit for this team coming into the game. And that was evident in the first half too. But I think at that point with Iowa having a 21 to seven lead, they kind of just, Wisconsin kind of just broke down and we're kind of didn't expect Goodson to break off a big run like that. And it's huge because I mean, even dating back to last year, like I know he had the big run against Nebraska, but we've really been waiting for Goodson a couple of times to break out for that big run. He's been, ankle tackled a couple of times when he got to the second level and mm-hmm. you know was one was one ankle tackle away from taking one to the house but to see him break free like that and to see Nico Regini block downfield and Tyler Linderbaum as well running with him like those were really impressive plays inside an, an already great play so there's just a lot of a lot of good things that went on that play and I think the way Brian Ferentz drew it up or whoever was whoever had that play is um was really happy with how it was executed. Not not just because they scored, but you know, just how dominant it was and just how those guys were able to get downfield and help goods and out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, no, I... I I agree with everything you said too. And again, I think it's just such another confidence booster for Tyler Goodson, who might be, by the way, second team all conference this year. Uh, I believe we're going to find that out tomorrow. I believe they unveil all conference selections tomorrow. So I expect him to be second team. I think Mo Ibrahim from Minnesota has that locked up in that first spot. He's been unbelievable this year. And Iowa did a pretty decent job of slowing him down. Final note before we move on a little bit of Wisconsin, I mean, uh, Michigan preview. We got plenty of coverage of that too on HawkeyeInsider.com. But Sean, I mean, that Iowa's defense just gets better and better. Like, yeah, Davion Nixon or Davion Dixon, if, if you're Tim Brando, obviously continues to play well. I thought the secondary played great. Jack Campbell, as I already mentioned, uh, is going to be a budding star. And I think the way Kayvon Merriweather's completely upped his game, I think that's really helped to sort of complete this 2020 Iowa defense. Yeah, without a doubt. The defense looked really good. And I think coming into the game, we kind of knew what we were expecting from them. But pro football focus had Jack Campbell at, I think it was a 92 point something which yeah. is his best game by far, and I think the best game of an Iowa defensive player this year. Maybe Davion Nixon against Penn State was better because of the pick six or Zach Van Valkenburg's three sacks against Minnesota, but I can't remember can't remember what those grades were. But, um, yeah, it was a really good effort, and I think, too, with Campbell, once he starts getting to play more snaps, I think he only had 23 snaps against Wisconsin – and I don't know whether that's, you know, they like Seth Benson more because I think Seth played an outstanding game two against the Badgers. Obviously, Nick Neiman produced, but I think Campbell, I think some of the things that might be bothering him a little bit is maybe the mono with the conditioning that could have played a role. And then 
I don't know. I think maybe they they like Seth Benson a lot, but yeah, I think Campbell has shown that he's ready to take over that linebacker spot next year when Nick Neiman likely leaves. So I think there's a lot of good question marks there. And the defensive line I thought was really good. Obviously, you're only going to be able to do so much against Wisconsin's offensive line. And I thought they did what they could when it came to getting pressure against Graham Mertz. And obviously having Wisconsin's, I think, backup center, third string center definitely helped too Mm -hmm. with some of those snaps. And even Graham Mertz had a couple of mishaps with handing the ball off, which helped Iowa's case. But I thought the defensive backs played well. Jack Kerner had a pretty good game. Kayvon Merriweather didn't have the game he did against Illinois, but I still think he was solid. And I thought Hankins and Riley Moss had a couple of plays too that I thought were critical. He had a nice open field tackle. And then the play on third down where he probably got away with the pass interference, that was, that was yeah, big as well. Definitely. Yeah, but, you know, it was just a solid overall game from the defense and something that you come to expect with your this year and just the way Phil Parker is able to game plan and able to um, – scheme for opponents um has been really really good so definitely definitely a big positive there a lot of positives across the board really nothing nothing went wrong and I think too that's going to be even more more critical I mean I know Michigan has struggled this year but they got some playmakers at running back and wide receiver and then the likelihood of them playing an SEC defense no matter what the how the team's doing unless they're Vanderbilt they always seem to have some speedsters on the field so That'll be an interesting test going forward for sure. Yeah, and you know, moving on to the to the Michigan preview. I mean, Sean, they haven't not they have not won a home game yet this season. And the last two games have been canceled. I mean, they have not played in a game since November twenty eighth. I believe they had COVID issues. And this weekend's game is not even guaranteed. But Jim Harbaugh was pretty more optimistic than he has been the last couple of weeks, said there would be a game heading into this weekend. The crazy part is, though, Sean, we don't know who's going to be the quarterback for them, and there are so many things up in the air. And when Michigan reporters pressed Harbaugh on this today, he really declined to comment. He just said, you'll find out Saturday. You'll find out Saturday. So really trying to uh, keep his cards close to the vest. But let's look at the stats and a little bit about this team. Just as we know, just they play, they're 2-4 and four on the season, averaging 28 points. Uh, only converting 36.5% of the third down conversions, which is 96th in the country. Uh, they have the most fumbles lost in the Big Ten. I mean, this is a uh, this team, Sean, is nothing like I think a lot of people expected. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't expect them to be top 10 or top 15 good, but I mean, you can make an argument that they might be. What would you say? The worst team in the Big Ten. You think you can make that argument? I, I mean, Nebraska's up there. I think Nebraska, uh, Nebraska, then Illinois. Illinois, um, I was thinking, is up there too. Yeah. Can't even throw Rutgers in that category either. Yeah. Penn State's obviously struggled, but they got a lot of talent. And they got three straight wins too. Yeah, I don't know. It's just such a weird season that – I think really experience wins in these cases. And I know Iowa was hurt at the beginning by not having a starting, like a returning starting quarterback. But I think with the defense, how many guys that had coming back, that was huge. And I think their schedule might've been favorable here and there with some of their games. But I mean, you look at Michigan and they lost to Michigan state, Michigan state looked like world beaters. And then they 
probably played one of the worst games of the season in the Big Ten mm-hmm. against Iowa the next week. So I just think maybe with the uncertainty of everything that's gone on with the season, having upperclassmen have really been key for Iowa, especially on the defense end, and even offense too. I mean, Iowa's offensive line outside of Cody Ince and, you know, Jack Plum really don't have much experience, really have. So Cody Ince and Jack Plum are the only guys without like, super you know significant experience experience, like coming into their first games this year um because obviously you got Linderbaum Jackson and even Coy Cronk even though he struggled and then Cole Banward as well those guys even yeah yeah they they all had experience coming this year and you know wide receivers Tyler Goodson come back Makai Sargent I don't know how many of these guys from Michigan really had a huge impact last year. I know losing Shea Patterson hurt their chances a bit, and Joe Milton hasn't been the guy that they want him to be. And I think they had the uh, other McCaffrey brother that I don't know if he was going to be a starter, but he was going to be a guy that they could have, you know, come in if need be. And Kate McMahon was really good against Rutgers in the game in their win. Um, but hasn't really been kind of, he got injured against Penn state. So that hurt their chances and defense. They've lost a couple guys. Offensive line hasn't been what they expected. Their kicking game has been really bad this year. Mm-hmm. Um, given up the second most points in the big 10 have allowed 30 points or more in four at six games. And what else? And their defense is and, atrocious. Yeah. Defense is not great. 429 total yards per game, 11th in the big 10, they got talent on that side of the ball, but haven't really been able to put it together and make a team effort and have success as a team, which has hurt them for sure. I mean, you go down the list, as you already mentioned. I mean, they're giving up nearly 34.5 points a game, which is the worst in the Big Ten. Total defense is second worst in the Big Ten, giving up 179 yards on the ground. That's 10th in the Big Ten. On third down, they're allowing 46%, which is last in the Big Ten. Red zone defense last in the Big Ten. And they only have four turn have only gotten four turnovers in six games. So I mean, like you said, they have a bunch of talent on that side of the ball. And Don Brown's typically been a pretty solid coordinator for the Wolverines. And that's basically what their success has been since Jim Harbaugh really hasn't been able to develop a star quarterback. It's that defense that kept kept them in games and reasons why they, you know, they've blown out some teams in the past. But like you said, you go down the list, Sean, and with the way Iowa's offense is flowing. I mean, this is a game where, again, you could see Tyler Goodson go for over 100 yards. Brandon Smith could have his best game. Maybe they don't get a lot of pressure on Spencer Petras. I mean, they're only getting 1.5 sacks per game, and they're only getting four tackles for loss a game. Those are not winning numbers, and that's just not how you win games in the Big Ten. Uh, I mean, as you mentioned, they also have a lot of health problems right now, so we don't even know who's going to play. Like Cameron McGroin might be one of the best – linebackers in the big 10 he might have one of the most upsides but he's just not healthy so with the way Iowa's offense is flowing coming off that second half against Wisconsin Iowa's offense in Iowa uh is gonna have all the you know just all, all the potential in the world to do whatever they want against this Michigan team and they're riding high with a bunch of confidence if Emir Smith Marset can go or not uh I don't think Iowa's going to struggle moving the ball against them, and I don't think I'm going out on a limb saying that. Yeah, and I don't think – I mean, I don't want to speculate, but I have a good good idea or, you know, I think it's pretty realistic thought that 
Michigan with the outside noise and everything that's gone on this year and Jim Harbaugh, I don't think that's helping their cause much. But I would say that, yeah, I think injuries have hurt them big time. I mean, they had their starting center opt out last week, Zach Carpenter, Mm -hmm. um, which doesn't help. And the offensive line, I think they've used like multiple guys at each position, which has been really interesting. And really the only consistent position this year for them has been running back with Hassan Haskins. I mean, he hasn't had like a crazy good year, but he's got six touchdowns. Um, They're rushing their running game. Offense is averaging 131.5 yards per game, ranked ninth in the Big Ten. So, I mean, not anything crazy, but still. And, I mean, they got some good skill players on wide receiver, Ronnie Bell, Cornelius Jackson. Tight ends had been here and there. But, yeah, I just think just the way that this season has gone with injuries and obviously they got hit with all the COVID stuff, that hasn't helped them out. And there's just a lot a lot of things that, you know, could have been going right for them that just really haven't. And that's kind of really just taking the downward trajectory this season. I mean, going down the drain ever since that Michigan State loss. So, yeah. I mean, it started off promising, too, because we thought Minnesota could have been a sleeper in the Big Ten West. And then Michigan beat them in week one. And now it's like, eh, like ever I mean, since that. I mean, how fired up do you think Michigan is to play this game? Not at all. I, I don't think so either. And I want to get on this before we get into our final predictions and wrap this up, Sean, but – I want your opinion on this because I don't even think I've asked you off the air, off the record. What do you think of Iowa's matchup this week and the Champions Week in general? I mean, I think from a coverage standpoint, from a just a hype standpoint, that this – if they would have played Indiana, that would have been so much fun. Like – Tom Allen, Kirk Ferentz, like one of the newer guys to the Big Ten. Kirk Ferentz, obviously the dean of college football. Been there a long time. Indiana, feel-good story this year. Usually knows a basketball school, but are now ranked what? Are they top ten? I believe they're number nine. Let me double-check that. They're either number eight or number nine. No, they're number seven in the number AP. seven. Okay, yeah. I was wrong. They, they, um, left, uh, they left Iowa State. That's right. Um, so, I mean, it just would have been a really cool story to see because, I mean, you never really see Indiana and Iowa in a super hyped matchup, especially in football. I mean, maybe we'll see them in basketball later this year, but you're looking at two top 20, top 15 teams in the country going against each other. And, you know, I, I personally, not to get off topic, but I personally love the idea of Champions Week if it was used for the intention that it was for. I don't like it with all this stuff i mean i know you gotta you gotta keep the rivalries and the old oak and buckets a huge game but it's not like purdue is really doing much with their season Mm. like i know that and it stinks but i get it from a this is this is kind of what i've talked to myself into i think it was more the big 10 being like okay we we know we kind of screwed you guys when it came to the big 10 championship i mean i know ohio state's going to bring in the most money and kind of the athletic directors don't really see a big deal and not having Indiana in there. But I know in the argument too, made in favor of Ohio state is that, okay, like even if they would have like, they'd still have the tiebreaker, like, and they got canceled against Michigan, not making the rules or not meeting the game requirements. So, you know, they they'll just have them play because it's the most likely opponent to play in the big 10 West or to represent 
the Big Ten in the college football playoff. And Indiana fans were all up in that and not happy. And I get it. But I also think maybe like they're kind of like they kind of shifted the rules again saying, hey, like we know that we did you guys kind of dirty with not letting you or not having you play in the Big Ten championship or, you know, fixing the rules a little bit for Ohio State. But now we want to give you a game where you win this game. Purdue, obviously, big rivalry. That's what was scheduled. Both teams had an outbreak. But it's a much more winnable game than the Iowa game. And a win. And if Iowa and Indiana were playing each other, that would basically mean whoever wins that game goes to a New Year's Six Bowl. But that's now, the problem I have. I mean, why wouldn't they want that? Maybe just to, I, I get what you're saying about maybe they're trying to say, hey, Indiana, here's this. But my whole retaliation behind that would be, they should have beaten Ohio state, you know, and that's my thing behind it. But I think Indiana deserves to get a break every once in a while. I think, like you said, they're a very likable team, but I just don't get it from a perspective of every time I think they can't do anything worse. They do exactly worse. Like why does Iowa have to play the sixth best team, which is second worst in the East? because they want to protect these rivalries. And maybe that's just me not appreciating the rivalries like some people do. But mm-hmm. like you said, I could totally see Indiana and Iowa, they probably want to play each other. And the reality is it helps both teams' resume, whoever gets the win, much more so than Indiana beats a terrible Purdue team or Iowa beats a horrible Michigan team. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, and it would have made, you know, the matchup so much more exciting, like, Obviously, we got the Big Ten championship game, but Ohio State's probably going to win that by two scores. I mean, Northwestern, they proved a lot of people wrong, continue to prove people wrong. Um, but I think Ohio State's just a much more talented team. But <clears throat> you you could have had Indiana and Iowa competing for a New Year's Six Bowl. Two pretty feel-good stories this year in the Big Ten and college football as a whole. I mean, obviously, with the way Indiana and Tom Allen's been able to make that program into a one of the best teams in the Big Ten this year and Iowa with everything that went down this summer and, you know, 0-2 start kind of season just looked like it was going down the drain and have played their best football the past six games and won all those games. And that's a pretty good story. And that's a pretty good, you know, storyline going into those final games is the feel-good story of Indiana, you know, usually a basketball school. And then Iowa – with everything that happened, the culture and just like the program getting rocked by those allegations um, playing each other for, you know, I know it's not the big 10 championship, but it's a pretty big deal for these programs and just a pretty big deal for the future. Um, And like recruiting money and everything to go to a new year six bowl. I know with all COVID and the money restrictions and how that's affecting bowls that, you know, it's not, as huge this year but I mean it's still a pretty big deal for any program to play in a New Year's Six Bowl and 
you know, I mean, Iowa with the way that this, with the things have gone in Indiana, the unfortunate case of them canceling last week against Purdue and or postponing and playing this week. I mean, I, I hope the champions week sticks around. Um, I don't know and if they actually it will. stick to their yeah. guns and the initial rules. Cause I love yeah. it. I like you said, I love it. I think it's a great thing. I mean, it stinks for the bottom tier teams just cause they're like, well, What's the point? But it also gives you more momentum going into next year, at least the opportunity to get more momentum. No, I don't disagree with you at all about from that standpoint. I think it's a great idea. I hate the way the Big Ten has handled everything. If the, I have not made that clear enough, over the last, what, five, six, seven, eight months, I think they've been by far the worst conference in the country as far as handling it. I think they continue to be hypocritical, backpedal, change the rules for everything and for anyone. And, uh, again, I, I don't think they could have done anything worse, including in Champions Week. But we'll save that for – I got a whole other rant on that for another day, but we'll save that. Getting back to Iowa-Michigan, I know we talk about like it's a guaranteed win for Iowa. It's not. I think the odds are in Iowa's favor based on trajectory and momentum. So let's just dive right into this, Sean. Give me your biggest key to the game and give me your score prediction. Biggest key to the game will be establishing the run and, you know, making the sit, making the the stage seem bigger than it really is. I mean, I know Michigan, obviously, big-name program, but with the struggles they had this season, you don't want to have, you know, a Florida situation where they go into the game last week against LSU and really drop the ball and, you know, lose. You don't want to have that. And, excuse me, and then – I just think that that's going to be key is, you know, this game is the difference between playing in a pretty good bowl game versus playing in like, you know, one step below a New Year's Six Bowl. And, you know, I think that's what you get to look into it. And just the way that the program has been able to respond, I think that's been really, really cool to see. And you want to continue that momentum going into bowl week because I think these last two games can really make or break your season. We could be talking about, this team starting off 0-2 and then going into their – and, you know, everyone kind of turns their backs on them. But, you know, they win. They rattle off eight straight wins and win that bowl game against an SEC team that looked back two, two years ago against Mississippi State. No one expected mm-hmm. Iowa to win that in the Outback Bowl. They go on and win it, and that gives them more momentum going into that next season. And I think that's what you want, too, in a program. So I think just making the moment – making the situation bigger it is. I know – that's probably not going to be a concern. I mean, you always seem to get up to play against Michigan. But I think when it comes to really, you know, production on the field, I think getting the ground game going, I know that's always been a key. But I also think you want to let Petrus fly it out a little more, especially if Smith-Marset, because, I mean, we want to see that consistency. I think everyone wants to see that consistency in the passing game from Petrus, and I think he could establish himself even more with a couple deep balls. So what's the final score you got? Uh, I'm going to say Iowa 35, Michigan 17. That's probably the – I think that's the first time this season that projected Iowa to score more than 30 points. Yeah, I think that might be true. <laughs> that might be true. Yeah, Iowa's a two-touchdown favorite. Uh, I, I like what you said about Petrus throwing the ball. I think getting him in a rhythm and establishing that full game consistency will be a big deal. And flip it on the defensive side, just stick to your roots. This this Michigan team has not proven they can be overly explosive and 
you know, beat teams, you know, by a wide margin with, with dynamic offense. Iowa has not allowed 25 or more points in 22 straight games. Get to the quarterback, whoever it might be. Might be Joe Milton, might be, you know, whoever else. But, look, I think Iowa runs away with it. I, I got Iowa 38-14. I really don't think this game is going to be close. Michigan's defense has given me absolutely zero reason to be be confident in them. And as you as we kind of already talked about a little bit, Sean, I don't really know how much they want to play this game. But, uh, yeah, before we wrap this up, I just want to say that I do think that Iowa got the short end of the stick in this entire equation. I know I already said that, but I want to repeat it. But with that being said, it's important for Iowa to come out guns a-blazing, full swing, because I think I mentioned this after Iowa's 0-2 start, that even though the Big Ten, winning the Big Ten at that point looked very unlikely, it was still worth, you know, there's still a lot to play for in terms of momentum for next season and years beyond. Look at what they did. They beat Penn State. They beat Wisconsin. Yeah, they aren't as good as previous years, but that's the type of stuff that lasts. So Iowa's done a great job of unifying together, playing some, you know, some of the best football I think Iowa's played since the 2015 season. They've rattled off six straight wins. As you mentioned, they can finish with eight. No matter who the opponent is, it's important to, like you said, make the moment bigger than what it is. But I think the Big Ten in general just handled this incredibly poorly. I think I think that uh, they're trying to overcorrect their wrongs, and that's just making them worse in the process. But as I kind of mentioned in the beginning, too, Sean and I are going to have a couple more podcasts this week regarding straight recruiting stuff. And obviously, Iowa's big, big, big showdown with Gonzaga, which will take place this weekend. And we're going to have a bunch of stuff for signing day at HawkeyeInsider.com. Again, 60% off an annual subscription. Take advantage of that. Go to either one of our Twitters at SBOC247 or at David Eichel, or just go to HawkeyeInsider.com. You'll see all the details surrounding that. We'd love to have you join our community. But Sean, end up being a uh, pretty packed episode. Do you have any any final thoughts? No, I'm excited to talk some recruiting on whatever day we get to that podcast because <laughs> – I, I can talk it I can talk with it about with you and you know other people around the industry but like when I'm at home or when I'm with my friends or something like I can't talk to about it. and I just I just kind of want to ramble on and on and give some insight into this 2021 class and the future because I think you know 2021 is a chance to be a really really special group for Iowa and I think a lot of people are kind of focusing too much on the 2022 and how that how it's not started the way that many expected but I think when you talk about 2021, then mm-hmm. a lot more people will be excited about the future and where things are headed for this program. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I'm very excited to dive into that 2021 class. We'll do individual breakdowns. We'll talk everything about that and have plenty of content on signing day. So, again, HawkeyeInsider.com. Uh, it's going to be a very, very busy week. Make us your one-stop shop for everything Hawkeyes news. But until then, we'll talk to you in a few days. Thanks. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.